It's time for the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Shondell Grand. And right now, we've got a huge selection of brand new Mazdas with exciting spring incentives across our entire lineup. Plus, you can buy your new Mazda completely online with our exclusive no-brainer checkout. Don't miss the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. Welcome to the Stanley Cup Playoff Report. Here are Dan Rusinowski and Drew Remenda. The theme of today's show is one phrase. Uh-oh, trouble. <laughs> Isn't it a great first round, Drew, the fact that uh, we've got a couple of upsets in the making and, and teams that haven't had much adversity all season now have to face it and deal with it? It's amazing, really. Um, 12 overtimes in this first round. Last year, there were eight. The games are so close. No lead is safe. Home ice doesn't mean anything. It is the, the visiting teams have, have won so many games. Uh, teams that we thought were uh, going to be knocked out early, still around. In fact, with the Seattle Kraken leading the series against the defending Stanley Cup champions, we have seen great performances. We have seen all kinds of controversy with the officials, with hits. Everything you want in hockey, you're seeing in the NHL playoff first round. It's been fantastic. Well, it really has been. And, 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 you know, you talk about the officiating. They're suddenly starting to talk about how this can be better in the playoffs and everything else. I think it comes down to that Marcus Foligno penalty that it was called in the Minnesota series. That's one of them. Is that one of the ones you're looking at? Well, yeah. Well, first off, the, the two he got um, in the game before were horrible calls. Just horrible calls. But the Dean Everson handled it so brilliantly after the game. Um, last game, I, th I think it like I was listening to and watching Ed Olchick and Keith Jones, two of the best analysts in the world. And they described it perfectly because Felina won that hit on, um, Faxa. Um, he doesn't move. He doesn't, he doesn't extend the knee out. He doesn't change his path. He's just coming at the man. Felino plays hard and he's, he's going to run you over as we know. Faxa tries to get out of the way and there's a knee on a leg on leg collision. Okay. Now they doesn't matter if he doesn't extend his leg because Brad Meyer, the former referee who was on uh, TNT as the expert analyst or expert officials um, rules guy, he doesn't, it doesn't matter if you don't stick your leg out. doesn't matter um, if you don't alter your path. What matters is where on the body do you make contact? And with what part of your body do you make contact? So Brad explained that. The, the, um, the call was five minutes. Then they reviewed it. It was upheld. And everybody was talking, well, he should get a suspension. No. Sometimes, sometimes five minutes is enough. Sometimes five minutes is the right call and a suspension isn't, isn't any more deserved. Agreed. Than, than anything else. Exactly. Right. But overall, the officiating in this, uh, first round, as usual, has got a lot of the headlines. It has been to me, Danny, and you know me, I'm a bigger, big supporter of the officials. Oh, yes, <laughs> you never, are. Absolutely. I never complain. Um, it's been, it's been exactly, it has been uneven. At, at, that's the best I can compliment I can give. It's been uneven. And um, there's been some calls that have been bad. There have been some calls that have been right on. 
But Todd McClellan said it best after they, um, after the Kevin Fiala's tripping penalty in game four, where the Kings had the three nothing lead and then it went the other way. Todd McClellan said, I've been around the game, I'm paraphrasing, been around the game long enough to understand that it doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter. It A trip was called. That's it. A trip is a trip. And he said, we can agree with it, disagree with it. It doesn't do me any good to complain about it right now. But before we get to before we get to all of the uh ohs in the game, yeah. I want to talk about what's going on in in a big game in Toronto. The Maple oh. Leafs have an opportunity to close out a series and get a series win for the first time in twenty years. And in the back of their mind, I know they're probably not focusing on this right now, but they're really hoping that the Florida Panthers can take out the Boston Bruins so they don't <laughs> have to face them in round two. But uh, from Toronto, the attitude is pretty pretty solid. And Sheldon Keefe was talking about it on the eve of this very big game six. Well, I really just think the biggest thing for us is to just focus on going out and playing a good hockey game. You know, we're a good hockey team. We've won lots of games. We found ways to win games in this series. I think anytime we get outside of of focusing on that is where all these other things start to creep in that don't help us here today. Uh, we have to be prepared to play our best game of the series. That's really it. That really is it for the Maple Leafs. Ryan O'Reilly, who's won the Stanley Cup, talked about it. It's going to take our best. Um, yeah, it's uh, you know it's not an easy task by any means. Um, obviously, we put ourselves in a good spot here, but um, yeah, you know I think this is a game where we want to dictate a bit more in these last few. Um, yeah, I don't think we did. We found ways to win, which has been great, but um, for sure we want to dictate and go out of a bit more and, and control the game more. John Tavares is the captain of the Maple Leafs team that has a chance to get this series victory, and he knows what it's all about. Well, just how difficult it is and uh, just how important each and every play is and being uh, prepared uh, prepared for that, uh, just knowing uh, you know how things uh, can swing with momentum and um, just, uh, just executing at a high level and, and uh, sustaining that and how difficult that is. So um, obviously the hardest one to get, especially uh, the opponent that... Uh, we're up against and the challenge that presents. So um, we know we have to continue to get better and, and uh, go out there and play well. And like I said, execute at a high level. Tavares has been through a lot and he also understands what the city of Toronto was feeling like this morning with the opportunity that the Maple Leafs have. Uh, you know, I think you, you're you obviously aware, I think, you know, the the special fan base we have and, and uh, the following the, the history and tradition with the team and um, why everyone is so excited about this time of year. Um, so I think, at least for myself, I think you try to get away a little bit, try not to put, you know, too much focus into it or whatnot. But uh, um, you know, you, you're not stupid either. You know, people are excited and are, um, you know, trying to trying to push the group on, and, and we're thrilled about that. So we want to benefit from that and, and use that in the right way. And, and um, like I said, just be excited for the opportunity, but at the same time. Stay focused on uh, the task at hand and, and uh, you know, for us, having a good morning here and, and keep up with your preparations and, and doing what we need to do to be ready for game time. Very measured from John Tavares and all the Maple Leafs. is uh, It's got to be pressure packed right now because they understand they'd like to knock it off tonight. Yeah, but I think we, they also understand that they're the better team. Like what has happened and everybody's like, wow, this is really a surprise. No, it's not really when you look at it. One team's gotten stronger, one team's gotten weaker. It's as simple as that. When you look at the Tampa Bay Lightning from the last time they won the Stanley Cup to where they are now, you look at the people that they are missing. And 
You don't have Andre Palat. You don't have Yanni Gord. You don't have Tyler Johnson. You don't have Barkley Goodrow. You don't have Colton, McDonough, Jan Ruda, Luke Shen. They're a very different team. And you're also playing with without Chernak on the point. That hurts. And, and Hedman is hurt. But he's playing injured. And they played a ton of games. The, the Toronto Maple Leafs have gotten to the point where they are um, a much better team, more mature. Ryan O'Reilly, as we have seen through the years, Danny, adds so much. After they lost that first game, um, decidedly, they leaned on Ryan O'Reilly and his leadership. Guy who won a Stanley Cup, a guy who's you can't argue with the way he plays the game and his leadership abilities. And he has really provided a ton of um, credibility to this lineup and confidence. And Sheldon Keefe said after game four, he said, because the Lightning had the lead in both game three and four. And in game four, they were up 4-1 in the third period and lost that game. Sheldon Keefe said, previous Leaf teams, we wouldn't have been able to come back on this team. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have been good enough. We wouldn't have been strong enough to come back. And so you've got one team who's weaker, one team who's stronger. And you and I do believe, we both called this at the start of the playoffs, yep. that Toronto would win this series. Yep, we both did. And I have to take a little self-patting on the back here to say how tough it would be for Boston to win in round number one. A lot of people really underestimated the Panthers, but there's also the factor, Drew, of what the Sharks went through in 2009 when they waltzed their way to the President's Trophy and had some adversity, but really not enough. And then they played the Anaheim Ducks and lost in six games. And here we are with history kind of repeating itself. What happens in the last game? Well, Sergei Bobrovsky steps up for Florida. Here's Coyle up in the line left side. Coyle in the far circle. Walks left to the net. Shoots Bobrovsky to save. The rebound trapped in his pads and he's got to hold on. That's Judd Surratt on Bruins Radio. And he was also singing the praises of Bobrovsky as uh, this save was made. Right point now. Hathaway out in front, all alone, no six shoots, and Bobrovsky to save. Wow, wide open, bad line changed by the Panthers. Linus Olmark's probably going to win the Vezina Trophy as the best goalie in the regular season, and he made some big stops too. Now Bennett around to check, Forbert fell down, it's centered out in front, Olmark reaches back, scrambles to its feet, fired, Olmark while he's down, made the save. But down two to one, Bergeron coming back to action. Patrice Bergeron, the captain of the Boston Bruins, getting his first of the playoffs. Bergeron in for the draw, 15 and a half remaining in the third. Bruins win it, up top McAvoy, rink wide. Here's Marchand, shoots, deflected, and they score! Guess who? Patrice Bergeron with the tip between the hash marks. It sailed just inside the near post above the glove. A power play goal. Bruins two, Panthers two. And you got a sense that Boston was thinking that this was going to be over, but the Panthers kept coming back, and it took Taylor Hall to tie the game up. Up top it comes. Carlo fires. Bobrovsky the save. There's a rebound available. Fished out by Hall. Hall shoots. He scores! Taylor Hall stayed with it in the slot. And then drills one inside the far post. Bruins answer again. Three apiece. What do you think of Taylor Hall, by the way? Drew, obviously, with Edmonton, uh, he didn't have as many playoff experiences, but uh, got the Hart Trophy in New Jersey after he got traded. And then now in Boston, he's scoring a couple of big ones. He is playing so good. 
I said it to my lovely wife, Michelle, last night as we were watching the game. I said, Taylor Hall is playing. They brought it up on uh, on the air as well. He um, He's a terrific player, really competitive kid. He was at most times in, in Edmonton when I was there, too much blame and too much credit. He got too much blame when things went wrong and too much credit when things went well. He had zero people to be around, to look around, to, to go to, to learn how to be a leader, being a number one guy in the draft, going to a bad team. He had zero people to, to try to pick him up because guys were competing for their jobs, stay, trying to stay there. And they see these young guys coming in. But he got traded, wasn't very happy when he got traded, but it's worked out great for him. He is perfect in his role right now and playing very well for Boston. Big reason that they did what they did this year. Well, they were right in it after he scored that goal, but then here comes, the, here comes the first uh-oh moment toward the end of the game. It's Sergei Bobrovsky stepping up. And the Bruins black it ahead up the middle. Marshan with three seconds left. Another slot, two, shoots, foot, and Bobrovsky the save as the horn sounds. What a finish that would have been. Brad Marshan with a breakaway coming down the gut, and Bobrovsky has to kick out the right leg pad. So for the first time in this series... We are going to overtime. Yep, they go to overtime. That's Judd Surratt calling it for Bruins Radio. And I thought I'd give you the game-winning goal in overtime from both sides of the ice. Here's Florida with Doug Plagans. Allmark back for Gave it away. Verhage to the front of the net. It's poked at. Backhand. They score. Matthew Kachuk in overtime. And the Panthers win it. 4-3. And there's going to be a game six in Sunrise on Friday. The- yes, there is. And on the other side of the ice, Judd wasn't as happy as Doug Plagans was. Muscle off the puck by Ekblad. Marchand comes over. And the pass just missed. Zako who is coming onto the ice. The puck rolls into the trapezoid so Omar can play it. Oh. Flipped it away. Banked out in front. Backhand, they score. Matthew Kachuk. The Bruins with a bad handle in the trapezoid. And the puck sent out in front to Matthew Kachuk. Linus Omar out of position. And the Panthers victorious 4-3 in overtime. And the Bruins are unable to shut it down. And this series is going to head back to Florida for game six. One thing that strikes me about, about that game, the game before as well, is Paul Maurice putting in Sergei Bobrovsky. Now, the common thought of you, you, you go with, the, with the, the girl that brought you to the dance, right? Okay? Right. Right. If that's what you do. You've got to be a, a, a smart and insightful and understanding coach about when do I have to do this? Because all season long you do it. Why do you change that in the playoffs just because one guy's been hot getting in there? I think it was a really interesting move by Paul Maurice and worked out for, for last night's game because Bobrovsky was fabulous last night. Yeah, he really came through when it mattered, earning his salary, so to speak. And, and kudos to Alex Lyon for getting him into the playoffs and for yeah. playing a couple of decent games in the postseason too. So uh, who knows? Maybe that'll go to a second round. But how about the fact that the game-winning goal in overtime in Boston was scored by Boston-area native Matthew Kachuk. I mean, that that's just a, a perfect script. Well, absolutely. But what he did yesterday, see, the one thing about Kachuk, and you and I have talked about this a lot, it's, it's a saying from our good friend Todd McClellan, I'd rather have to pull a guy back from the edge than push him to it. Matthew will sometimes, because of his emotion, he gets over the line, and like he did um, in, game, in game four, it was, um, it was goofy. I mean, he just gets he just gets a little bit crazy and goes after guys and um, he goes over the line. 
last night he left the agitating to Sam Bennett, who has been, by the way, outstanding. Great. And, and then played that hard nose in your face checking game that still is as irritating as can be because he's always on top of you. And then he scores that big goal. So it's, it's a good lesson in just find that balance. If you've got a guy like Kachuk, you got to pull him back from the edge every once in a while. We continue now with the Stanley Cup playoff report on the San Jose Sharks audio network. We continue with the Stanley Cup playoff report with a little thought on the Dallas-Minnesota series. And there's no better person to talk to about this than St. Paul, Minnesota native Brett Hedekin, who, of course, is on our broadcast all season long. But, Brett, you've been a national television figure here in the first couple of games. What are your thoughts about the series so far? Well, it's been a it's been a hard hitting, you know, competitive series. I mean, we've we saw Joe Pavelski, uh, former Shark, get knocked out of the series thus far after that game one hit by Matt Dumba, and but somehow, some way, Dallas Stars, you know, slid Tyler Sagan in there, and he's just had a terrific playoff so far. He's been scoring goals. He's got you know four goals in the five games, and has filled that role for now for Joe Pavelski. And that's been the difference really. If you look at Joel Erickson Eck from the Minnesota wild, uh, he tried to come back in this series, skated what 11 seconds and went right off the ice. Couldn't, couldn't come back. And I think he's been a big hole for this team. They, they need that depth down the middle. And, and with him being out, it's been a, a bigger hole than what Dallas has done to be able to fill uh, Joe Pavelski. Everybody expected that this series was going to be like a tight checking game. We've had a couple of big blowouts. I mean, Dallas won seven to three in game two and Minnesota came right back and won five to one. And uh, I think the only constant has been really that, uh, that Jake Ottinger has been great in goal and uh, Sagan's been great for Dallas. And on the other side of the ice, uh, Philip Gustafson looks like he stepped forward and, and provided a lot of value. What do you think? Well, yeah, first of all, Jake Ottinger, and you look, I thought at game four, Dan, he was the the difference. I mean, you look early in that hockey game, Minnesota Wild had a couple of breakaways. Yes, I would say Dallas hit a couple of goalposts, but um, I think the better of the play and the more quality scoring chances were held by the Minnesota Wild. And I thought Jake Ottinger was terrific in that hockey game and was uh, really the number one star in my view. And so for me, this young kid out of Minnesota, Lakeville, Minnesota, you know, going back into his home state, you know, as, as a a competitor and as the, the bad guy is found a way to really, you know, you, you can't uh, hate the guy if you're a Minnesotan because he is a Minnesotan and he's playing some terrific hockey for the Dallas Stars. But on the other side, the other goaltender, yeah, I think Philip Gustafson is is one of those situations for Bill Guerin. And you look at the, the moves he made, Dan, at the trade deadline, uh, Gus Nyquist, and Marcus Johansson, those two guys have been absolutely amazing. Um, every game they've been noticeable, every game they're making plays. And I think, you know, Bill Guerin did one heck of a job there. But looking at Philip Gustafson, when Cam Talbot couldn't work out a deal in the summer at the when they were doing the draft, basically that came down to a, a trade that was executed uh, on the trade floor. Essentially, he moves Talbot to the Ottawa Senators, and he kind of knew Philip Gustafson from his days when he was uh, in Pittsburgh. And 
basically it was a draft choice uh, 2016 of, of the Pittsburgh Penguins there in round two, 55th overall. So we had some familiarity, but didn't know, you know, how his development was going. Well, his development is going just fine. I mean, he has been absolutely spectacular. Yes, came out of the series in game two. That's when they put Mark Andre Fleury. That was one of those blowouts you had mentioned, Dan. But but overall, Philip Gustafson has been just terrific for the Minnesota Wild. What about the the X Shark factor in this series? I mean, you know, on the Minnesota Wild, you've got Gus Nyquist, who's as you mentioned, doing a really good job, and good to see that he's back to health. But you've also got Jake Middleton, who's been kind of involved in the positive and negative way in this series. And then, of course, on the other side of the ice, you've got Mason Marchman, who grew up in San Jose when his dad Brian was playing here, and also, of course, Joe Pavelski, who looks like he's going to be in tonight uh, in this game against the uh, the Minnesota Wild. So it looks like Joe Pavelski is going to return for the next game in the series. That'd be probably as emotionally lifting as it was when he returned for the Sharks a couple of years ago in the playoffs against Colorado. Well, great to see Joe coming back. And, you know, obviously uh, that tough, tough hit to watch. And, and we remember back in the Vegas series with Joe Pavelski. And, and one of the reasons why we have that five-minute major you know, uh, recall for the officials when they make that call for the five minute major, they're now able to go over and, and review it. And, but I, I would say with Joe Pavelski, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm excited that he's coming back. I'm, I'm sometimes worried about him after some of the hits you've seen, we've seen him take. Um, but I wish him well, I hope he's hundred percent and I hope he feels great. But, and, and on top of that, I hope he plays great. He's just such a wonderful player to watch. Uh, he's made the NHL better with him being in it. So, uh, I really, Love the fact and love to hear that he's coming back in tonight's game. But yeah, Gus Nyquist, Dan, um, you know, when Bill Guerin made that trade for him, he was had an upper body injury. It was a shoulder injury, and he basically only played the last three games of the season. But what I love that the Minnesota Wild did is they took him on every road trip, even though he wasn't playing, to kind of get used to the system, get used to the players. And when he stepped in at the end of the season, he played three games, he had one goal, four assists, and now through five games here in the playoffs, he's got four assists. So he's found a way to acclimate, averaging you know more than a point a game right now from the day he walked into the shark or the wild locker room. Uh, so it's fun to see him having some success. What was your take on that Felino penalty? I, I hated him. I, I really did, and and I'm not saying that because I'm a Minnesota guy. If if I just look at the one that was really a head scratcher was the interference one behind the. Uh, the net there on, on Yanni Hockenpah. Uh, the puck was there. He was reaching for it. I think he touched it. We, the angle that we had from the camera, it was hard to really, you know, for sure say, but if the player's trying to play the puck and he's reaching for it and a, a guy comes in to hit him, it was a clean body check. It was simple as that. It was, it was a clean hit. It's playoff hockey. We can't take this out of the game. We just cannot. And they end up scoring on that power play, the Dallas stars, and then the one in the neutral zone. I mean, he's got Marchment in his sights. Marchment knows he's going to get hit, jumps out of the way. He misses him. And Marchment's elbow ends up hitting, you know, uh, Felino in the in the in the visor and cuts him. And Felino ends up getting the penalty. And then the last one is the the game five kneeing penalty, um, where I thought, you know, Paul Bissonette did a terrific job on TNT, really breaking that play down. I agree. I think he'd really talked about that. Well, the part that he described the, the change of body position and everything that, that went into that, that was really good work. It was really good work. And it was, you know, well-constructed. You can see both sides of it. You know, the fact of the matter is in the official that was there, you know, talking about that in studio, the fact that, you know, it, it, it was still knee on knee. 
And even though it was a tough break for Felino, now my whole thing is should he have been kicked out of the, the game for that? And I think absolutely not. I think that was a big impact play, not only for the fact that they end up scoring on the power play, but then he's out of the game for the remainder. And now they're a man down and they're a man down of a leader and a guy that keeps people honest and plays the style that has made them successful all season long for the Minnesota wild. So I think the officiating has it's, they've got a very difficult job, but I think for some of those calls against Felino in this series, and if I just look at down on middle, Dan, if I'm not looking at the Minnesota wild or Dallas stars or wanting either one of these teams to win, which I don't, I'm, I have no horse in this race. I feel that Felino got, uh, you know, taken to the cleaners on all three of those calls. Thanks for checking in, Hetty. And we'll look forward to talking to you during the playoffs. Oh, you bet, Danny. Always great to talk to you, my friend. We continue now with the Stanley Cup Playoff Report on the San Jose Sharks Audio Network. Well, let's go to uh uh-oh number two, and that's the Islanders and the Carolina Hurricanes. Carolina in their own end. Ten seconds to go. The Canes Ajo through center. Turns it over at center. Sezika sends it to the Carolina end. Three seconds to go. Two, one. The horn sounds of the New York Islanders. Take game five tonight in Raleigh. They beat the Hurricanes three to two, and they will play a game six Friday night back on Long Island. How about that? Uh, That's uh, certainly an excited, excited broadcaster for the New York Islanders. Kinger doing the job there, Chris King. And uh, Drew, I I think that that sets things up for a very exciting time in New York City because you've got the New York Rangers and Devils going on. You've got the Islanders with a chance to win the series. And you got a lot of exciting hockey in New York. Has the New Jersey Devils-New York Rangers series disappointed you? It surprised me a little bit. I thought it would be a little bit more wide open. Yeah. I, I think that, I you know who I credit for that? 100% Lindy Ruff. To well, me, the you, he's yeah. the guy who's dictating things uh, as far as the way the game is being played. And the Devils have dictated the pace a lot better. Rangers have done a good job in, in getting the couple of wins that they've gotten. Chris Kreider scoring goals. You see uh, Patrick Kane providing you know that uh, what we knew he would provide to them. But uh, that 1-2-2 two, two that the Devils are playing, but also with uh, Akira Schmid coming in net and playing really well, uh, Dougie Hamilton getting the overtime winner. Uh, the Rangers are in for a lot of hurt here in, in game number five coming up. What's What's been surprising to me when it comes to the Rangers, like the, last time we talked, we talked a lot about the uh, the one game where the Rangers broke out and all their big stars, you know, Patrick Kane, Patrick Kane, Patrick Kane, and things were really going well for them. They looked good. The The Devils were, were kind of off that game. They weren't really getting anything going. And you went, oh, wow, that's that's the Ranger team, we thought. But after that, the Devils have took over. And, they, yeah, they play a 1-2-2, but they they bring in pressure all the time because they're so fast. And we're seeing with, with the Kraken the same thing. But what's surprising for me about the Rangers is um, our Timmy Panarin. Zero goals, two assists. Like, kind of silent. Silent, like just invisible. It's been like that too, like with Minnesota. Kirill Kaprizov has got a lot of checkers on him. He's not putting the puck in the net either. You got you got to find a way to work through that, right? You have to find a way to work through that. So it's been it's been an interesting disappointment's not the right word. It's it's been um, quite, I think, uh, eye opening when you look at the Rangers and all that skill they've got: Kreider, Kane, Fox, Heedle, Tarasenko, Kako, Panarin, Zabanajad, and. They're not scoring. 
they're having trouble scoring. It's amazing. Well, that that puts the the puck squarely in the court of the New Jersey Devils because uh, the next game in that series, game number five, is going to be in New Jersey. So the Devils can perhaps take control as Seattle did with a tremendous three to two win in Colorado. They're going back to Seattle with a chance to actually close out a series. Again, Drew, that reminds me, as we said in the last show of 1994, you never know what could happen there. Don't count out the abs yet. And on the other side of things, how about Edmonton at Los Angeles? Oilers coming up with a really big 6-3 win uh, in their game to take the series late. They get an opportunity to, to advance. Will Todd McClellan's club come up with it and uh, get the victory or not? I don't think so. And the reason why, and it wasn't last game, it was the game before that when they were up 3-0. I think there's a moment in every series where a team either wins the series or loses the series. And I'm not talking about the deciding game. There's a no, point- it, it always happens at a point when you don't, you almost don't expect it and it sets the tone for the rest of it. Right. And you ha- you look, then you look back at the series and go, ah, okay. That's when it happened. That's when we had them. And when they had the three, nothing lead in LA and they gave it up, lost in overtime. And then virtually I, you know, we're talking everybody talked about. I was talking to Craig Button the other day from TSN, great, uh, great analyst that he is, and and um, on TSN in Canada, also assistant general manager with Dallas when they won the Stanley Cup, and we talked about that, and he he agreed with me that the change in the in the series was that three nothing lead that evaporated, and then edmonton took over last game it wasn't even todd mcclellan said it after the game he said we weren't nearly good enough they're going to have to come up with a monster performance and they get a couple of days because of building availability with the uh with the lakers etc playing in, in the nba playoffs so they're going to have to be able to completely change charge up their game again and i don't know and corpus Allo, all of a sudden danny has looked very mortal and finally we get to winnipeg and vegas Looks like Vegas has this thing in control. It's going to take a monster effort from Connor Hellebuck, who's got to take the team on his back with Shifley still out. Ehlers might come back here uh, for this next game, but uh, we'll have to see at game time. And, uh, of course, they're they're really Morrissey, their best player, out. Yeah, Um, so they're relying on – they just have the scoring. I think when you look at Winnipeg after this game or after this series, they're going to take a long, serious look about changing that core because that core – had a couple opportunities to, to get it done two years ago, last year to make the playoffs. And then this year, um, I think that, that they'll look at the core and go, okay, we've got to make a change. All in all, some really great action. And uh, once again, the first round of the playoffs in the Stanley cup is unbelievable. It's the best playoff round that there is in many respects. That's it for our show today. You've been listening to the Stanley cup playoff report on the San Jose sharks audio network.